Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness in action. I am your host, Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. And we are joined by nobody today. No one. Just the two of us. It's been a long time since we haven't had a guest. I don't even remember the last episode. It was just the two of us. Me neither. This is fun. Yeah. And it's episode 24. Yeah. So it's kind of like our two-year birthday. Right. And we're just celebrating it by ourselves. And we're wearing party hats. <laughs> green ones, though. <laughs> right. Because it's St. Patrick's Day. It is. Are, you're not even wearing any green. I'm wearing monochromatic, like, gray. Denim on denim. Yeah. Very trendy, was, but not that very... That was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I even listened to, like, a little podcast this morning about St. Patrick. Oh, man. Hmm. Well, you're, like, celebrating it in the spiritual sense, which I is probably so. better. So... This is another weird thing since the last time we recorded the podcast, both of us have gone dog sledding. (laughs) Okay. So this is actually a perfect lead in to my icebreaker question because that's what I was going to acknowledge as well. In the last two weeks, both Emily and I Separately. separately have had a dog sledding experience. So here's my question for you, Emily. <laughs> okay. There was actually a lot of questions I thought of, but I wanted to think of one sort of competitive. Okay. If you and I were in a dog <laughs> sledding race, uh-huh. which one of us would win and why? Um, well, the stupid answer is which ones had the fastest dogs? Because <laughs> when you go dog well, sledding, you don't really... No, there's some skill involved. There I mean, is some if you skill. think about the turning and going mm-hmm. uphill, stuff like that. Yeah. I think... Um, like, I feel like I just need to defend myself because I think the assumption is that you would be, you would win. I was actually hoping you would say you would win just so we could have a little bit of an argument here on the <laughs> podcast. So, so okay, yeah, well, go with here's it. why I think I would win. Okay, let's hear it. Is one, I have really good grip strength because oh. I go rock climbing. Oh. And so, like, I can hang on mm. and I did fall off of hmm. the dog sled, but I was able to hold on and get up really quickly. So okay. the guide was very impressed with me. Yep. So you're like your bounce back ratio right. yeah. is really fast. So like yep. if I mess up, I'm really confident that yep. like it won't, I won't derail okay. you know, all of dogs. Yep. And I think um, whenever I went, I went dog sledding in Northern Minnesota okay. and there was like three feet of very powdery snow. Mm. And when I had to hop off to run alongside, it was really, really hard. Yep, yep. And so I feel like being in less idyllic conditions has like hardened me right, and like toughened me up. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're a bit more trained. And yeah. I'm like, re- I'm adaptable is what I would say. It's sort of like, it's sort of like the, which Rocky movie is it when it's like you see the Russian training mm-hmm. in the high quality yes. professional gym. And then there's Rocky Balboa, like lifting big towers yeah. and t- I, not towers, <laughs> tires. You're like that. I'm the Rocky of dog sledding. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's, that is, that's hard to beat. I mean, Mm -hmm. I knew that you were going to make a strong case for why you (laughs) thought you would win if you and I were in a dog sledding race. The only comeback I have is I actually own a dog Mm. and I'm pretty much a dog whisperer now. So I feel (laughs) like I would be, I would have like this chemistry and connection Uh with my dogs where it truly like, Like I'd be one with the dogs, you know, I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have to I'd barely have to do anything. I'd basically just be able to like think a thought 
of what I want the dogs it's to like do. It's like Pacific Rim where you're drift compatible. Exactly. We like share a that's brain right. with the eight dogs. Yes. Yep. That's good. So I think it would be tough. But in all seriousness, what was your favorite part about dog sledding? Because um, there's nobody else. I can't ask that question to anybody right. else other than Kathy, my <laughs> wife, who d- went dog sledding with me. So what yeah. was your favorite part about dog sledding, Emily? Um, well, my favorite part was I got to ride in the sled, which I don't think you did. I didn't. I had I had to control the sled the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that might be a point in your favor for you have more hands on experience, technically. Yeah. I mean, you were just kind of sitting around <laughs> doing nothing during that time. But okay. I was learning from an expert. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I mean, like riding in a dog sled, I feel like it's my favorite way to travel at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like even for far distances. Yeah. It's okay. comfortable. It's like being on the back of a tandem bicycle because <laughs> it's like you get all of the benefits of like the wind in your hair and you're like pedaling, but you don't have to worry about anything because you're just sitting there. You're cargo. That's a bold statement to say it's your favorite <laughs> way to favorite form of transportation. If I could take a dog sled any like if I that could be my mode of transportation, like get to work, I would probably do it. I mean, you could just put wheels on a dog sled. That's true. I'd and have to get the snow. six to eight dogs. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so there's not really like a great transition, smooth transition statement coming out of questions about an argument really about dog sledding and who would win. I had to go there though because it was such a fresh experience that both of us had. But uh, today's, today's topic is actually a bit more uh, intense and serious large part in large part because of how like prevalent like and timely the topic is so i want to acknowledge that trying to transition from a conversation about dog sledding to the introduction and the topic um so i i hope that that can help the listener mentally and emotionally adjust as we come out of that into where we're headed so i'll i'll leave the introduction to you uh coming off of that Thanks to modern communication and the internet, we now see a lot of the terrible things that are happening around the world. And yeah, it's generally a good thing to be aware of what's happening to actual people everywhere. But a lot of the time, it's overwhelming. We're constantly seeing the worst of the worst from every corner of the world. And seeing so much injustice, it often feels like we need to respond somehow. And so we do respond in a lot of different ways, ranging from despair to compassion to cynicism to apathy. And then the news cycle just moves on, but the injustice and the tragedies continue. So we ask either cynically or despairingly, what am I supposed to do about it? And at Uncharted, we've dealt with this a lot in the past year with war and tragedy in two of the countries where we work dominating the news cycle, stirring up support and sympathy and criticism, and then getting dropped for the next big story. So what are we supposed to do about it? Is there a right response to have when people overseas are suffering? How can you stay informed without being overwhelmed? And what is there to do other than offering thoughts and prayers? So obviously, the thing dominating all the news cycles is the war in Ukraine. And not, not to diminish that, but it kind of feels like another thing that's been happening, especially in the past year, year and a half. Um, like you were saying, two of the places where we work have had this happen just pretty recently. Um, Myanmar with the military coup taking over 
And then where we work in Central Asia, having a lot of strife and injustice and unrest. And we've seen this kind of cycle of being overwhelmed by information, seeing lots of vivid imagery of what's happening to places. And then, you know, another country is invaded or taken over and we kind of all move on. Yeah. And to just add to that point, again, not to minimize at all the realities, the harsh realities happening in Ukraine, but even if you look back just a few years, so Uncharted is launching into North Africa. And one of the things that we're going to be doing is working among Yemeni refugees. Well, the reason we're working among Yemeni refugees is because there's been a horrible genocide, a civil war in the country of Yemen for the last several years as well. And that's another example, yet another example, sadly, of when that first started, there was some press about it, um, but that quickly faded from the news cycle, and yet it continues over there. And it wouldn't take us long to think of probably, you know, three, four, five other countries or places where that's that sort of cycle is happening. So, yeah, it's a real thing and really grateful that people are paying attention to what's going on over in Ukraine, but it's also really good to be talking about it like we are in this episode about how do we respond and what do we do and how do we approach Mm -hmm. circumstances like this? Yeah. I think for me, the, whenever stuff like this happens, when this is dominating the news cycle or there's some sort of injustice happening somewhere and my like first reaction is like, helplessness Mm -hmm. and hopelessness in a sense, because my, I'm like the cynical asker of like, well, what am I supposed to do about it? (laughs) Like not, not in a way that like, I don't care, but in a way that's like, I, there's nothing I can do about this. Um, it's like, I, I can't end genocide (laughs) myself, no matter how much I would like to, if I could flip a switch, I would. Um, but I tend to avoid Mm. news or updates because it just kind of like makes that feeling worse. Mm. This kind of sense of like despair to Mm -hmm. be very dramatic about it. Yeah. And so what I would add is that's interesting that you would feel that sense of hopelessness and helplessness. And I would resonate with that. I think for me though, I actually feel guilt. So, Mm. you know, maybe this has to do with like our Enneagram personalities. I was going to say you're an eight and I'm a four. Exactly. makes sense. So I feel guilt about because I can't quote unquote do anything and I'm carrying on with my life, you know, I'm going to Starbucks or I'm going running into target and getting things or, um, sitting in the backyard of my home or whatever. I feel guilt that I am doing those normal, safe, comfortable things, knowing that sort of stuff is happening. So I think first of all, it's good to acknowledge like those are, those are normal human things to feel whether it's that feeling of hopelessness, helplessness, feeling of guilt. Um, I don't think we have to pretend like that doesn't exist. And there's probably a a healthy way in which we acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about just in general response to international headlines and the different ways people respond to them. Like we were just saying, one of the things that I think a lot of people do automatically or even things that like, we have asked people to do whenever the stuff's happening in the communities where we work is to stay informed, Mm -hmm. to stay up to date. Um, and that I think has good and bad things. 
and I don't need to like get into a dissertation <laughs> about how media <laughs> impacts, you know, what we think and believe. Yeah. Um, but it really does. And I think one thing to acknowledge is I'm going to be on a soapbox a little bit about this is that like the way we get information does impact how we feel about it yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, like I think Twitter is a great example of this because it asks you to have input and to have a hot take and to comment on it and yep. to talk about it. And that just kind of turns things into argument points and things to talk about. And you kind of lose a lot of the personal connection um, whenever you're talking about Ukrainian refugees, mm -hmm. like it's some sort of philosophical debate and mm -hmm. not just millions of people who are trying to survive. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about this, I, this sort of broad category of responding to these injustices, to these hard things that we see in the world. And I want to, I want to connect what we just mentioned about the feelings of hopelessness and helplessness and guilt. I think it is, I think it is important to acknowledge those things, um, to verbalize those things, even to not be embarrassed that you feel those things. And at the same time, to not let those things paralyze you from doing something. And to make the connection to what you just introduced that, that first thing of being informed in a, in a healthy way. And I think that a lot, okay, so I'm, so we're obviously talking from a Christian worldview here that yes, like so much of our response, so much of our action, so much of our views and perspective can be shaped by whatever news outlet or media source we typically go towards. And I think it's really important for us for, as followers of Jesus to be thinking about how do I look at this issue, this conflict, this injustice through a kingdom lens first and foremost. And so not allowing a, a world cultural source be the main thing that informs the way that I respond or the main way that I view a certain type of person on whatever side of the issue. And I think this was, this was a good reminder for me. I was reading something soon after the, the war started about a call to prayer for, for Russia and for people in Russia and followers of Jesus in Russia. And it was a good reminder of like, yeah, this is, I, I'm not, I'm not called as a kingdom person to vilify all Russians or people in Russia. Like there are people there who are standing up actively against this war. There are followers of Jesus in Russia trying to figure out how do I live in this country as a Russian yet primarily as a follower of Jesus. What is that? Like that's gotta be a super mm -hmm. complex, difficult place to be in. And so it's easy for us from an earthly worldly quote unquote perspective to pit against, you know, vilify like, well, that's the bad side and that's the good side. Mm -hmm. So all of our energy and resources needs to go to the good side and a lot do, you know, we do need to pay special attention to those who are on the, on the receiving end of injustice. But at the same time, like what is a kingdom perspective? How does a kingdom perspective cause us to look differently? Um, at all sides, at all aspects of what's happening. So anyways, mm -hmm. just to your, just, I guess maybe to add to that idea of like what's informing us. Mm -hmm. um, it's certainly not bad to take in information from different news sources and news cycles, but my responses and my judgments, my, where I land 
in terms of how I view certain things should be ultimately informed by what is, what does God's kingdom look like? What mm-hmm. is God's kingdom meant to look like in this situation? Yeah. And I think something that's also interesting with that is like, sometimes the right response as a Christian is grief, Absolutely. is sadness. Um, and there's this whole thing with like, I don't, have you ever heard people say doom scrolling? No, it's like I don't a, know that term. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, not, I'm not, not up on terms. Like um, it's just, it's, it's basically what it sounds like is like, you can't stop reading all the terrible things that are happening in the world and gotcha. you just keep going. And I, th- even in thinking of how I describe the way I respond, a lot of it is focused on like me th- wanting to do something and not being able to. And that is like very inwardly focused in general. Mm-hmm. And so like, even in my, like, I feel bad for this. Do some of that is informed by like, I feel bad that I can't do this or like, I'm not going to be able to be an expert on this idea. And I think when so much of the ways we engage in the internet and in news is like, we contribute to it. We talk Mm -hmm. about it. We need to have an opinion on it that kind of forces us out of compassion for people and into, I don't know what the right word to say is like deciding what is good or what is bad, kind of putting people against each other, picking a side, telling people what needs to be happening. And we don't, we are like fighting on behalf of these people that are abstract in our minds. Cause we don't have compassion mm-hmm. for them. Hmm. And I think that's one of the gifts that the Psalms give to us, right? Mm-hmm. Is you see God's people lamenting a lot. You see, you see, moments that are not resolved. I mean, there's some, there's some Psalms, there's some laments that end in some sense of resolution, but there's some that aren't like, there's some that just stop at a sense of grieving. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the gifts that they give to us is the permission and the freedom to say, this just sucks period. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and also I think the, the Psalms also give us the permission to realize we can despise evil you know, that it, there's a lot of Psalms where there's calls for justice. There's calls for God to act against people who are doing evil things or the actions that are evil themselves. And so I don't think we have to be afraid of that or timid about a call against injustice. Like I think as, as followers of Jesus, that's, that's an incredibly deep part of the gospel is, is justice, mm-hmm. is restoring things, is righting wrongs. So to, I would add to your point that yes, we absolutely are invited into just being in a place of grieving. Like we just need to grieve sometimes. And on top of part of that grieving can also be sort of a call for injustice or an expression of this person is acting mm-hmm. from a place of evil, you know? Yeah. Um, what What's the name of the Psalms where you like ask God to kill your enemies and bash their teeth in imprecatory. Yeah. Imprecatory. That's right. I saw an article that's like, it's okay to pray the imprecatory Psalms (laughs) over people. I was like, I don't know how that works with my theology. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) But, But I think it's interesting to remember that those exist too. It is. Yeah. And that, yeah, I mean, there's probably a whole other podcast about those Psalms, but we'll have someone who knows more than us. That's, That's fair. That's fair. So, the 
the, I guess maybe the main thing I want to talk about is this, this idea of thoughts and prayers <laughs> is kind of a cliche at this point. My thoughts and prayers are with you. Oh, thank you. It means so much to me. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just kind of, I mean, at this point, it's almost a joke of just, this is the thing that people say after a tragedy when they don't want to do anything about it. Um, it is something that you do instead of actually helping somebody. And as a Christian who believes in prayer, that is a little conflicting because on one hand, I agree <laughs> with people who say that like, yeah, it is a cop out for a lot of things. It is something you put on your Facebook status mm -hmm. so that other people see you've acknowledged this and then you pat yourself on the back and move on. But as a Christian who believes in prayer and as someone who feels helpless in a lot of ways, prayer is kind of like the only thing I've got. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what, what do we do with this? I mm -hmm. guess. I certainly, I certainly don't assume my answer is, is the best answer or the answer, but I do think on the one hand, I totally agree that that phrase, I mean, I just made fun of it. Right. So like that phrase thoughts and prayers is, and can be very cliche and yeah, sort of like this umbrella of if I say this or post this, I'm good and I can carry on with my day and not think about, think about it or do anything else. At the same time, if we took seriously that idea of thoughts and prayers, it actually can be a really powerful way to connect with what's going on, even in, even in very sort of mundane, simple ways. Um, so let me, let me just give like a couple sort of simple, maybe even silly examples of what this looks like in our family. So we, there, there's a lot of people that we are connected to because of being part of Uncharted who are going through tragic things. Mm -hmm. When you're around it a lot, it can be, this sounds odd, but it can almost, it, you can almost sort of like become numb to it. You can almost forget about it. And, and so actually thoughts and prayers have helped me personally in our family collectively to remain sensitized to what what our friends around the world are going through in Ukraine, in Myanmar, in Central Asia, in Yemen. Um, so there's like little things that we've done where at mealtimes, for example, we do use prayer as a way to remember what our friends are going through around the world. And, and it will even say things like, um, we're grateful for this food because we know that a lot of people that we're connected to don't have a meal like this. Would you provide for them today as they wake up to a new day? Um, there's little reminders that we have on our cell phones that ding to us, ding at us throughout the day of like, Hey, pray for this person or pray this prayer for these people. So I think if we took seriously or if we took intentionally the idea of thoughts and prayers, it actually can be some really simple but powerful ways to keep us from becoming desensitized to what our friends around the world are are going through and and actually praying over them. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that makes sense, but um, on the one hand, I do understand why that can feel really um, cliche. And in many cases it is. Mm -hmm. But I also, from personal experience, can say there are ways that thoughts and prayers can actually help me from having a hardened heart or a calloused heart to what people are going through. Yeah. And I think that also is a good example of like what prayer and thoughts is meant to do. Because I think in a lot of ways, people aren't expecting you know, bombs to like 
not explode whenever they pray for Ukraine. You know, it's, it's not exactly the same kind of intention of like, well, I'm going to do this. And I ex- fully expect every bad thing in the world to stop happening because I prayed for it. This right. is, this is how things work. That's, <laughs> this is, um, just a funny joke from a sitcom, but in an episode of an episode of 30 rock, there's like Tina Fey is talking to Tracy Morgan and she's like, Oh, in college I went on a hunger strike to protest apartheid. And, and he goes, Oh, you're the one that's that ended that. Thank you so much. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, that was a joke. But at the same time, you know, a lot of things like that are done now with the intention of like ending this, but of bringing an awareness and yep. making um, international issues a little more personal and a little more have more impact on your day-to-day life. And so then that kind of begs the question of like, okay, so then how do I pray for something like this? Like, I don't, I don't want to say like, I don't think God can end war or like, you know, I don't want to say like all of the people that are starving in Central Asia, right. like, it doesn't matter whether I pray for them or not kind of like, am I going to, is God going to drop manna from heaven and feed them? I don't know. Like I kind of don't expect that whenever I pray for those people and maybe that's my problem. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. (laughs) Well, I don't know. And again, there's, there could be a lot of holes in my response, but I, I would say, I don't think it's wrong to pray for a miraculous intervention of some sort, whether it's, I don't think it's wrong to pray that God would <laughs> miraculously intervene in stopping a war or providing, you know, sustenance in a miraculous way. That's certainly not a wrong thing. Um, it's also not wrong to to also say, okay, but typically the way that God works is through his people. Mm-hmm. And and so if I'm part of that group, what what can I do? Um and that's where you know, we're going to get to some of that in a little bit. So I don't think it's wrong to pray that God would intervene in a miraculous way in some way. I think it's wrong if we get mad at God for not intervening in a miraculous way. Uh, maybe not mad at God, but like, you know, like, God, you, you should have done this. Well, not necessarily. Like sometimes he works in miraculous ways. Oftentimes he works through human and natural ways. Mm-hmm. And, and allows the brokenness of this world to exist. So I, I think that in some ways it's a both and, um, I, I pray that in some miraculous way, the Russian invasion would end, they would withdraw and peace would be restored. I also pray that people in Ukraine and outside of Ukraine would do whatever they can to help the situation, to help the refugees, to help those who are being shot at, to help the injured. To me, it's a both and approach. Mm-hmm. I also think another way to pray um, is to keep in mind the already not yetness of our life. That when it comes to a sense of justice, um, there is a level in which justice may be served in this lifetime, in this era, if you will, uh, for what's happening in places like Ukraine and Myanmar and et cetera. But there is also a sense of not yet, like it's coming. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the beautiful hopes of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Like whenever Paul talked about the coming of Jesus in the New Testament, it was never to 
prove a particular eschatological viewpoint. Like he was never trying to prove like, ah, see it's premillennial or postmillennial or I'm like, he was Mm -hmm. never trying to do that. The whole reason he would talk about the return of Jesus anytime he did so was to give suffering people hope. And I think that's one of the most beautiful parts about being a follower of Jesus is that no matter what, like we have hope either in this lifetime or in the life to come, full justice, full restoration will be satisfied. And it's actually the passage that we're praying together right now as a staff, that second Thessalonians one, three through four, it says when he is revealed, justice will be dealt out to the afflictor and comfort will be a given to the afflicted. And I, I love that, that reality. Um, and it's something that I pray for, for people in Ukraine and Myanmar and et cetera, is, is that sense of already, but not yet. So God today, would you bring justice? But I also put my hope in the fact that someday ultimate justice will be satisfied. So I think that's another thing for me, at least that informs the way that I pray through these tragedies. Yeah. I was, I was also going to bring up that verse because we're praying it every day at noon <laughs> and I actually put it in my phone as a reminder this month. <laughs> nice. So I'm actually doing Look it. Look at you using technology. I know I'm not, I don't love it, but, <laughs> um, but it has been interesting to see a verse like that, just like on my phone every day during what's happening in the world already is interesting, but just like the way I've already, I don't know, I guess every day it's like, I've interpret it differently in, mm. in a sense. And sometimes I just like get the first few words of like, God is just and mm. I'm like, okay, that's all I can pray for today is like, I believe this. And then once, when I get caught up in like the, the doom scrolling and the helplessness, just going back to like this, it's okay. If you don't see it happening right now, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean he's not just like, yep. th- this is something that is going to happen. Yeah. Like the ultimate justice gets paid out at some point. And just because you don't see it now, doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah. And all ultimate comfort, right. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the things I love about that passage is it's both sides of it. You know, that, that the person who does the afflicting, yes, justice is given to them. And there's, you know, there's part of us as humans that we like that, but, mm-hmm. I, but I also love like sometimes we, that leads us to think of God as like this, you know, big vengeful, scary God, who's going to like swoop in and bring justice. But he's also this incredibly tender, kind, loving, gentle. And that's that comfort side, right? Like Mm -hmm. there will be ultimate comfort. So you think about the suffering families, the suffering moms who lost their kids, the, the child who lost their parents, you know, like just the amount of grief and brokenness that someday there's going to be a level of comfort that outweighs the level of loss and grief that they're experiencing today. Um, that that's a, that's a really encouraging thought to me at least. Mm -hmm. As I was, as I was scrolling Twitter, (laughs) (laughs) as I was doing scrolling, I I found a really interesting article, um, that, or somebody was interviewing this Jesuit priest named James Martin, um, who's actually written a book about how to pray, which I did Mm. not know. And I have not read, but, um, they were basically kind of coming to him with these questions of like, uh, specifically about Ukraine and praying for peace. And what do, how do I pray for this? What do I do? Asking, asking him, you know, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? What do I do when I get discouraged? And, 
um, one of the questions during the end of the article was like, okay, so what are you praying for? Um, and mm. I really liked his response. So I was just going to read it. Yeah. And it says these days I'm praying fervently for peace, especially in Ukraine. How will these prayers be answered? Perhaps by God's opening hearts and moving thoughts to ways of peace and reconciliation, perhaps by awakening in us an intense compassion for the victims of war, perhaps by filling us with outrage over the suffering caused by war. Perhaps remember that this is one way that God works by moving hearts to action. How else would God act in the world? And I, I, that really challenged my thinking, I guess, in a lot of ways, because I would never, I never thought of these things as answers to prayers. Mm. Um, Like grief could be an answer to prayer, Mm -hmm. like this awakening of intense compassion. Mm -hmm. It looks a lot like suffering and it looks a lot like grief, but that could be an answer to prayer that for peace. Um, And so I just really like that perspective of, um, of broadening, I guess the, the definition of what, what God's work could be like. And I get at the end, he's like, well, how else does God, does God act? Yeah. This is what he does. It's good. Yeah. I like the line too, where he says, remember that this is one way that God works by moving hearts to action. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of touched on in, in this response to international crises like this, you know, we've talked about just some of the natural feelings of hopelessness and, guilt. Um, but that eventually moving past those into a place of being informed, um, thoughts, prayers. And then James Martin in his quote says that one of the ways God's work is by moving hearts to action. Mm-hmm. So taking action. Let's do it. Let's save the world. Okay, here we go. One starfish at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so when you think of taking action, Emily, like as, especially in the last couple of years, as we've seen, we've, we've kind of had a unique, somewhat up close and personal view of countries, but also people that we know going through really significant upheaval and hardship, putting you on the spot here. Okay. My favorite place to be. I know. What have you seen as some healthy expressions of taking action? What have you seen as some things that maybe have been, have felt questionable, opportunistic? Um, yeah, just curious, like in your time with Uncharted, what have you observed or picked up along the way in terms of what Mm -hmm. does it look like to take action? Um, it's been really interesting because I think naturally I tend to be a pretty cynical person. <laughs> really? <laughs> Shockingly. Yeah. Oh, huh. Um, and so I think in a good way, I've been challenged a lot, um, in a lot, in a lot of ways, because to me, the first thing I can think of, of like something terrible is happening far away from me. What do I do? I need to donate money. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like the only thing I can do. And so part of me, feels cynical about it because it feels a little bit removed and distant. And like, I'm not really engaging this. I'm throwing money at something to ease my guilt Mm. (laughs) in a sense. Um, and then having worked here and learning more about like all of the ways throwing money at things tends to make things worse. Mm. And there are lots of donations of things that people can't use and don't Mm. need and all of this stuff. Um, but I will say that it's also been humbling to, um, I guess just for example, in central Asia, when a lot of the stuff was dominating the news, a lot of people 
reached out to us and just like wanted to help, mm-hmm. wanted to give. We didn't have to yeah. beg. We didn't yeah. have to take advantage of the new cycle, which as a communications person for a <laughs> ministry is always a fine right? like place to walk to figure out how do I leverage right. this without yep. leveraging it? Yep. Um, but people are genuinely moved and want to do something not to make themselves feel better because they are moved by compassion. Yep. Um, and then being at an organization where we're in a position to actually do something with that, um, there's just an insane amount of money that was mm-hmm. raised in a really quick time. Mm-hmm. And the money is being used. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. in the beginning, it was hard to know what we were able to do. Like, yep. <laughs> What, what do we do with all this money? We can't, we can't send it over. Right. We can't go take supplies that they need. Um, but things get put together really quickly. And because of a lot of people's generosity, there's, there's like an insane number of people who've been given a lot of food yeah. in a country where 90% of the people are like facing food insecurity and starvation. Yeah. Um, and so in a good way, I like cannot say anymore, like Mm. donating is not helpful. (laughs) It's like, well, it's literally keeping people alive that I know. That's right. Um, so in, in the sense of like the best ways to respond, I, I mean, I think doing something is better than doing nothing anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think giving money with a bad conscience is better than not giving money (laughs) with a bad conscience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) God can use it no matter how you feel when you write a check. Yep. Yeah, I I agree. And I think obviously a lot of it comes down to also like who that money is being given to and through. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, we don't know the motives of all the people that gave to uncharted, um, during the time that there was the war in Central Asia and the stuff in Central Asia going on. So, um, yet we know where that money was going. We know the value, like you just said, like it was literally saving the lives of people Mm -hmm. and still is today. And that, that leads me to the thought that I would have. I mean, there's, there's a lot that I could say about responsible, responsible ways to take action to circumstances like this, like Ukraine, like Central Asia and so on, Myanmar. But one of the things I would say is as much as possible, don't let it just be a one and done thing. Mm -hmm. I realize that can't be the case every time, but as much as possible, don't just do one thing and then completely forget. And it doesn't, that doesn't mean you have to like keep financially giving, you know, from now until the next hundred years. Although if you want to do that with Uncharted, feel free. Absolutely. Check out our base camp program. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think like in this situation of Ukraine, for example, like as an organization and personally, we don't have any connection there. I've been I've been to Kiev for for other ministry reasons. And I know people who have people there, but I don't have like a personal connection the Mm -hmm. way that I do. We do in Myanmar. Um, But there's things that I can do to keep that fresh in my face, not just today, but in six months from now, in 12 months from now, in three years from now, because the reality is, and this is what we're seeing in Myanmar and Central Asia, that like it gets in the news for a couple of days or a couple of months, but then it does fade in the news cycle. But a year later, Mm -hmm. things are in many ways worse than they were when it first started. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think, um, to know, like what type of action 
do you want to be a part of or what types of actions do you want to be a part of here at uncharted and this is not this is not an uncharted original like we've we've this is pretty common language in the nonprofit humanitarian sector but there's the three r's um three different types of ways to be involved with helping there's relief rehab and restoration and a lot of ways to define these but just a simple word picture is relief is give a person a fish they're starving right now mm-hmm. you're not worried about what's well what impact is it going to have on them you know tomorrow or in mm-hmm. 5 years like they they will die they will fall over and die if you don't give them a fish right now rehab is more that teach a man to fish right like you're giving them more of the independence and they can stand on their own two feet and then restoration is much more of that long-term holistic sustainability teach a person how to start a fish farm business right mm-hmm. so it's not only impacting their own lives but they're benefiting their community and um, generations to come type of thing and i think when you have situations like ukraine happen we immediately jump to the relief mode, which mm-hmm. frankly we need to, mm-hmm. like there are millions of refugees who need relief. We need to find good organizations who are helping hand out loaves of bread and bottles of water and first aid kits and things of that nature. So we need to be part of relief. Typically though, that sort of, and I hate to use these words, but I'm going to use them anyways, but that's sort of like the sexy, glamorous way in which we take action. Mm-hmm. I'm not diminishing that. Please take action. Um, especially with through good, healthy organizations. But we also need to be engaged at some level with rehab and restoration. What happens to all those refugees in a year from now? What's happening to all those families in six years from now? What's happening to those cities um, you know, that, that right now are being run over? Mm-hmm. What's happening in Myanmar? What's happening in Central Asia? What's happening in Yemen? What are ways that we can be a part, not only just the immediate relief, but the ongoing rehabilitation, the ongoing holistic restoration. So I think that that's something that is important for us as people who do have resources, as people who are in a position where we can help is to educate ourselves. And it doesn't take much to do this, to educate ourselves on, okay, not only how can I be part of the relief aspect, but also the, in some ways, much more needed rehab and restoration. Um, so that, that would be my, I kind of went on a soapbox there for a little bit, but that would be kind of my exhortation to the listener is yes, be involved with relief. My family and I are involved with relief with Ukraine. Um, but we also want to be, and need to be involved in the midterm rehabilitation of those lives, of those individuals, of those families and the long-term restoration, um, so anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it this kind of builds off a little bit of what we talked about on our last episode with Jeremy. We were talking about making a distinction between getting involved in something local versus something global and just kind of, I wouldn't say we came to a conclusion about the way to do that correctly, but one of the things we talked about was there are ways to make global things feel local. Like you can make connections, especially now, like we talk about the internet and media and it's not all great, but a lot of it is really great. And you can like, we can be in a group text with our church planters in Myanmar and talk about it and committing to something that's like in the rehab restoration place is one of those ways that I think is a really great way to make something feel personal and feel like you have a connection to it. If you're willing 
to do something that doesn't have immediate results if you're willing to to be there six months from now. All right. So we've been talking about action as we bring this episode to a conclusion. Emily, when it comes to the parts of the world that are in current conflicts, news cycles have faded. It's not as much in our attention like Myanmar, Central Asia, Yemen, et cetera. But these, some of these places are places that we, Uncharted, are connected to. For the listener who wants to do something, what are a couple of very practical things that through Uncharted they could do? Well, the first thing that people can do is give to Uncharted Ministries as a, f- a formerly cynical person. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> a recovering cynic. A recovering cynical person. Um, it, it does make a difference and it is really important. Um, there are lots of needs and lots of things that are made possible through generosity of supporters. So if you want to support some of our ministries, you can go to unchartedinternational.org slash give. Another way we have of connecting with our partners overseas is we're in communication with them pretty frequently. And so we want to give people the opportunity to send uh, notes and encouragement, uh, which doesn't sound like a whole lot. And it sounds like something really easy to accomplish, but it doesn't mean a whole lot to our partners. Every time we're able to send some over, we usually get a lot of responses Mm -hmm. about how encouraging it is and about how loved people feel when they know that uh, their family here is praying for them and thinking of them. Um, and so if you'd like to do that, you can go to unchartedinternational.org slash write W R I T E. And you can send a note to any of our church planners in Myanmar or any of our staff in Central Asia. That's good. In terms of Ukraine, so Uncharted isn't actively uh, present there, but we do have a lot of partner organizations and individuals that uh, we know on the ground. So there's two I just want to call out if you're still looking for a way to help provide relief and then over the months and years, maybe even help provide rehab and restoration. Um, One of the first that I would mention is Novo Ministries. Um, They are just a great organization that's doing multiple types of work around the world. And they just happen to be uh, in Ukraine. I know firsthand that they have a team of people on the ground who are providing a lot of relief uh, type assistance, humanitarian type assistance. So it's just N-O-V-O, Novo, which is, I believe is Latin for new, .org, Novo.org. You can check them out. And then Operation Mobilization or OM, Operation Mobilization. They also have people on the ground in Ukraine uh, as well as surrounding uh, countries. So there's there's others for sure, but those are two that I would encourage you to check out if you're looking for practical ways to help out uh, the people of Ukraine. We wanted to end this episode with a thank you to the Basecamp community. Basecamp is Uncharted's community for people passionate about advancing God's kingdom all over the world. The generous support of Basecamp is how we're able to care for, train, and multiply disciples in overlooked and unreached places. You can join the Basecamp community by signing up for automatic monthly donations. Head to unchartedinternational.org give and join today.